I want to ask you to look at something with me here on the screen. Who can tell me what that is? That's a football play. Football play. Now, I heard that a lot of us from the ladies in this room. Some ladies in this room know their football. That's why Brandon and I got married, because she loves football. It's really, it's one of the main reasons. It really is. <laughs> that a football play that comes from a playbook. Now, I look at that as kind of foreign language. I kind of understand some of it. I know who the center and the guard and the tackle are, but I don't know what the dots are doing. I know the lines are kind of showing some pass patterns. I have no idea what all those letters stand for. I probably sat down and analyzed it. I might be able to get some of that. Some of you all can look at that and say, I can tell you everything about that plan. I know where that ball is supposed to go and what's supposed to be doing and everything in that play right there. Now, here's what happens. We've been talking about 1 Timothy being our playbook, right? The book of 1 Timothy is God's playbook to say, church, here's the plays I want you to run. Here's how it's supposed to happen. And when we follow his playbook, then you win. And when you follow his playbook, good things happen. For instance, when you follow that playbook, can I get an amen? Uh, now, if it was UK, I would have done the same thing, but they didn't play yesterday. See, this is live preaching. You guys are like, man, that happened yesterday. It's in a sermon already? How'd that happen? Thank you for computers. If it back in the day, I'm like, how did I do this, writing this out? But that happened yesterday. My team's on the rise because they're following the playbook a lot better as of late. Now, I'm trying to be optimistic. My wife said to me yesterday, I didn't know to take this as an insult or a compliment. She said, Michigan's kind of like UK. That kind of hurt. I'm like, they're doing good, but they fall apart. So you're telling me Michigan is doing good, but they're going to fall apart? I don't know what you would take that. But if UK keeps following the playbook, they're probably going to win some more games. Michigan keeps following the playbook, they keep, they're probably going to win some more games. Now, when you look at the book of 1 Timothy, though, some have said it's not just a playbook. Some have said it's like a blueprint. Who here is familiar with blueprints? Have to read blueprints, maybe look at blueprints. If you've built a house somewhere around here, do you know this week someone asked on the Facebook group for Master Station how many homes are in Masters and Station? Someone replied and said there's over 2,600 homes now in Masters and Station. Within a mile's stone throw from us, basically. And then there's all these other neighborhoods that are around us. You know, every single one of those homes started with a blueprint. Now, some of them you kind of drive by and you're like, what kind of blueprint were they following? But they all started with a blueprint. When we built this building, we built the addition. We started with a blueprint. And the blueprint says you start with the foundation. And so you start below the ground. You start working your way up and you follow that blueprint. So you build a solid foundation. And nobody would want to go into building anything without having some direction, some instruction, without having a blueprint for life. And so this book we've been walking through, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, this is the blueprint. This is the instruction manual. And Paul gives this Timothy this blueprint how to set up church leadership. He says, here is how... The church should function. And here is how the church is supposed to be led in order to be a healthy, gospel-centered church. All of us, I think, desire health. It's probably why you go to a doctor sometime. You're like, I'm not feeling real well. Doc, what do I need? I need some medicine. Oh, you need some exercise. The doc says, you're not following a blueprint for health. And that's probably why you're feeling the way you're feeling. And so all of us want to be healthy, and we want the church to be healthy in a letter to a young presbyter dated A.D. 394, Jerome rebukes the churches of his day for their hypocrisy, showing more concern for the appearance of their church buildings than the careful selection of their church leaders. 
He said, many build churches nowadays. Their walls and pillars of glowing marble, their ceilings glittering with gold, their altars studded with jewels, yet to the choice of Christ's ministers, no heed is paid. Stop and think about that. A.D. 394. Saying you guys are more concerned about what it looks like on the outside and who's leading the church. And I just wonder, have things changed much today? Have things changed much today in the American church? I mean, many are oblivious to the biblical requirements and what a spiritual church leader is supposed to look like. Leaders are implemented who are not spiritually qualified. And we establish church boards and we put in a leadership people who are influential in society, but they're spiritually shallow or bankrupt or empty and elders and are made out to be policymakers and financial officers and or administrators. I think they were struggling with some of this stuff back in the day when Timothy receives this letter from the Apostle Paul. It's one reason why I think he put it in the writing and say, listen, you guys are kind of AWOL on what you're, the elders, the leaders of the church are supposed to be. Biblical eldership requires biblically qualified shepherd elders. And the overriding concern of the New Testament in relation to church leadership is to ensure that biblical leadership of God's church is done by God's way. Do we want to do things by God's way in this church? That's my desire. I surely hope you don't want things just done by John's way or Brian's way or Sally's way or Susan's way. We want to know what God's word has to say. We want to do it his way. See, being an elder is not something that should be given to somebody who's just faithful in their attendance or one who is not chosen just because they're senior in years or because they've been members around here for a long time or because they, 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 they're, rich, they're a rich donor or, or they're filled with good friends or they're charismatic personalities. Churches get all kinds of things mixed up on who should be leading and guiding the church. The leadership of an elder is open to anybody who ha- fulfills the biblical requirements. And the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, listen, you're dealing with some challenges in the church. You're dealing with some false teaching in the church. You're dealing with some people who don't understand the way the church is supposed to be set up. So he says, here's the playbook. Who wrote the playbook? God wrote the playbook. And so we're supposed to put the plays into action. So I want us to see in our text today, 1 Timothy, I want to look at this text in 1 Timothy, but I also want to flip to a couple of other texts because this topic is so important, and it's really shown throughout the New Testament what the guide is and what the direction is. So let's look at our key text today in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach not given over to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now remember, this letter that was Timothy has received. Timothy's a young man, converted by Paul on his, uh, on his missionary journey. His letter's written to Timothy by Paul when Paul was older in life. So Paul had been kind of the, through the 
through the ring of life, so to speak. He's been through the ups and downs. He's had a long walk with the Lord, and now he's writing back to Timothy, mentoring Timothy, the young pastor, saying, here's what I want you to do. And Paul sent, sent Timothy to minister to churches in Corinth and Thessalonica to help struggling churches and discontent churches. And he sent this letter to Timothy when he was dealing with the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus there was loose and it was informal, It needed some order and some structure. It kind of had the the opinions of a bunch of people directing it. It'd be like us saying, well, Sally, what do you think? And Susan, what do you think? And John, what do you think? And Steve, what do you think? And this whole mix of stuff was going on, and it was just going into the church, which was making the church very unhealthy and very sick. And some members then are dealing with a whole lot of false doctrines. They're like, well, what's real? Is it this real or is this real? Is that real? What are you supposed to be doing? And so many issues they were dealing with actually are kind of similar to today. Similar to what is attacking the church of America today is the idea of a popular opinion. The idea of what's going to make me feel good. The idea of what's going to make our church be the hottest thing on the market, so to speak. Church, we have one playbook. It's God's Word. And we talked about this last week, that it says all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture that we look at comes right from the heart and the mouth of God. And so when we look at the Scripture, we know it's from the heart and mouth of God, then I would say, well, if God talks about this, one way you exegete Scripture, you try to study Scripture, you go, did he repeat it? If he repeated it, it really starts to show some importance. Like when he talks about love, he talks about it a whole bunch, because... It's so important that we are to love one another. He talks about money. He talks about a, a whole bunch because money kind of distracts us, right? And he talks about church leadership. Well, it's listed in several times in the Scriptures. I just want you to see a glimpse of it again in New Testament and other areas. Look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Points to the hope of heaven. Now Peter's the author of this book. He writes to Christians who are going through hard times, dealing with persecution, encouraging them how to stay strong, how to live godly lives, and he even encourages the elders. So here we are. The Apostle Paul receives this message about elders. Peter receives this message about elders because the Word of God is inspired by God because all scriptures God breathed, and they both pin almost the exact same thing. Isn't that amazing? Two guys writing at two different times both basically write the same thing to Christians. Here's things of importance. Now we go to Titus. Now the author, again, is the Apostle Paul. He says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. 
An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, one who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now, this letter of Titus is written by the Apostle Paul to Titus. Titus was ministering to the people on the island of Crete. He was trying to get the Cretan church in order. Isn't it interesting? The church in Corinth is kind of out of order. The church in Ephesus is kind of out of order. The church uh, that Peter writes to and people, they're kind of out of order. The church here in the island of Crete is out of order. Man, the church was under attack, wasn't it? Things haven't changed today, church. The church is still under attack. And constantly under attack by the lies of Satan who says, well, do church this way, do it that way. No, we'll do it this way. And we get off the plan of what God's direction is, God's plan is. See, the church in Titus was dealing with a diverse population. Some say it was similar to Los Angeles of today. Five different ethnic groups learned from pirates and sailors. A large community of Jews... And they're all bringing all that thinking from their world going, let's figure out how to do church. Do they not need direction? In our culture today, we are more and more ethnically diverse. We are more and more racially diverse. We are more and more politically diverse. We are more, I mean, just, we are diverse throughout. Just go up and down the streets of Lexington. Go into the Walmart. Go into the mall and just look around and look at how many different people there are and how many different languages. you ever notice you're standing in a store and people are talking? You're like, I have no idea what they're saying. Have you noticed that in Lexington lately? Sometimes I have no idea what language. I'm like, man, I wish I could just get in the air. Sometimes you ever feel like, man, they're talking about me. But we have all kinds of languages, all kinds of people, all kinds of diversity, all kinds of backgrounds, and they were dealing with the same thing. And so the Apostle Paul says, here's how you're supposed to live within my church. And so it's so relative to where we are today. Titus 2.15 says, these are the things you should teach. Paul told Titus, you teach this. This is truth. This is God's word. That is given to me as a pastor of God's kingdom, as a preacher of his word, is my job then to teach these things so that we do the best to follow the blueprint, the playbook. Now, depending on which translation you're reading, you may see a different word for overseer. The word overseer can be translated as bishop, which means to look or watch over. The, the actual Greek word is episkopos. To look or to watch over. And there are five words that are used interchangeably in the New Testament for this type of leader. You have overseer and bishop and elder and pastor and shepherd. And you'll hear me sometimes use those interchangeable words. That We use the word pastor. We may use the word shepherd. You probably haven't heard me use the word bishop. That's one I probably don't use much. Because I think of what happens in our culture today. And we've set up bishop structures and I'm not exactly excited about them. But they're very biblical terms. All five of these words mean the same thing, to look or to watch over. And after looking at these three passages that are written throughout the New Testament and guiding God's church with this blueprint, I, I believe that we can draw out some truths of Scripture that we need to hold to 
as we set up leadership and continue to say, how do we do leadership at Centerpoint Christian Church? First, I see the scripture teaches that elders are to be male. And I know that's hard. We talked about this last week as we walked through Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we first looked at the men's roles. And then we looked at ladies' roles. I, I know this can be offensive for many women in our culture today. I know women who say, I don't want anything to do with the church because that's a male-dominated thing and it's oppressive to women. And that is not God's, God's goal. That is not God's plan. The primary example of male leadership is found in Jesus Christ himself because Jesus came as the Son of God. He came as the Son of God. And Jesus trained and appointed 12 men who he called apostles. And this affirmed the creation order that was presented in Genesis. And then Jesus spends the entire night in prayer in Luke chapter 6, and he did exactly what his father told him to do. We have to refer back to a sermon series we did about a year ago. But Jesus would pray and say, God, what do you want from me, Dad? Dad, what's my next step in life? And he would listen to his dad, his father, and his father would say, here's what's your next. And the scripture tells us that Jesus said, I only do what my father tells me to do. So in that night of prayer in Luke chapter 6, his father says, I want you to choose disciples. I want you to choose disciples. And then the 12 followed that example of Jesus by appointing seven men when they needed to establish an official body of servants in Acts chapter 6. And Peter wrote to the churches of Northwest Asia Minor and exhorted his Christian sisters to submit to their husbands the same way the holy women in the Old Testament age did. And so we see a, an example of godly male leadership. He also exhorted husbands to care for their wives and reminded them that their wives were fellow heirs of the grace of life. And Peter then continued to follow the Lord's example and taught both role distinctions of male and female equality. And male leadership was the pattern of the New Testament. The problem is, is we've distorted it, church. The problem is men have abused that role and have not done it the way God wants it done. Paul even taught this when it came to the marriage relationship. In the book of Ephesians, Paul teaches that the husband is empowered and commanded to lead in the marriage relationship. And the church is a family. And we walked through 1 Timothy chapter 2 and we talked about roles. And we saw that the men were supposed to stop arguing and fighting and disputing and lift holy hands in prayer to God. And there's a huge call. In that chapter, for men to be godly leaders. Problem is, guys, we've been blowing it for too long. We've been blowing it for a long time where we kind of sit back and, well, just let the wife take the kids to church. I'll let the wife pray with the kids. Let the wife do everything at home. And if anything, the book of Timothy is a call for us as men to step up and to be godly men, to be righteous men, to be men who pursue the heart of God. And then he talks about this family thing. Paul says he teaches the church leadership. It, it, there's a comparison that it's just like the family. It's consistent with that teaching. There is not one example in Scripture where women were chosen to be the shepherds of God's household or to be elders of God's household. The overseer is the husband of one wife. It refers to a husband, to a man. He must manage his family well. All three passages refer to the man who has managed his family. Now, I know it's hard in, in today's society. It's hard to receive this kind of teaching sometimes from Scripture. So what do you do when you have a hard time to receive Scripture or when something is going totally against where our culture is today? Because right now, what I'm telling you, it's like 
It's like salmon swimming upstream. Wait a minute, that's not what our culture is teaching at all. And so, Brian, you're telling me that the man is supposed to lead and a lady is supposed to submit to the land in godly leadership? Yes. So what do you do with that? And i got to be honest with you. As I studied through 1 Timothy, I wanted to tear out section chapter 2 and about 12, 15 verses. I want to tear out part of chapter 3 and skip it and say, we're not going to handle that one. We're going to move right on past it. Matter of fact, I want to argue with God and say, God, but in our culture today, this doesn't work. God, in our culture today, this is going to make some people really mad. God, can we just throw it all out? Let's just skip that. I, I want to do that. But you know what I do in that times? I look and I say, God, you're smarter than I am. You were about just as slow as first service. You had a great opportunity to say amen. My wife, yeah, my wife, you know that's right. God is smarter than me. God is smarter than you. Amen. God has a plan for this world, does he not? And God knows what he's doing. Even in times when I don't understand it. Even in times when it doesn't make sense. Now, you all get a little bonus. My teenagers were in here for a service. I try really careful not to pick on them when they're in the room. There are times when my kids look at me and say, Dad, why? Dad, I don't like your decision. Dad, and sometimes they don't say it. Sometimes it's just the attitude. You all been there if you have teenagers? You know what I'm talking about. They want to argue with me, and they want to debate with me, and they don't want to do it the I want to do it. Do you know, I love my kids deeply, and I would not do anything to hurt them. I have their best interest in mind, and the decisions I make is because I want them to succeed in life and learning how to love God and love people and serve Jesus with their life. And so the decisions I make, even though they're going, I don't like it, it's for their best interest. And a statement that has become so real in our home, as I tell them, is they, they do not know what they do not know. We all have those stages of life. I don't know what it's like to be 50. I'm approaching that. I don't know what it's like to be 60. I don't know what it's like to deal with health issues when you're 65 or 70 or 75. I don't know what that's like, but that's coming around the corner. You know, God has your best, is, uh, best interest in mind. God has my best interest in mind. And there's sometimes things in Scripture just doesn't make sense. I'm going, my, my brain doesn't get it. God, Why? And God's going, do you trust that I love you so much that I have your best interest in mind and I will take care of you? This is one of those passages that we wrestle with and, and this is probably more intended towards you ladies. I understand that this is a hard passage sometimes going, but God, I had a husband who did this. I had someone who was not godly. I had a boss who did this. Or I had a man who treated me wrong. I, had, I was sexually abused. And you want me to submit to some man? How can you, God? So ladies, I... With all empathy and compassion I can, I can understand when you say, man, this is hard. I want to appeal to your heart to know that God loves you more than you'll ever know or imagine. And his plan is the perfect plan. His direction is the perfect direction. We mess it up. And I am sorry if there has been some guy in your life that has messed up. You're like, man, I can't trust a guy. There's no way. That's not God's intent. But when we submit to God and we say, all right, God, I'm going to trust this, things get really good when we all do our part. And so because we understand this to be a male role, we have men in our church who lead in this role. Jerry Horn and 
John Stamper, our new elders, who just a few weeks ago were installed in our church as, as elders. And Tim Curtis and Jerry Skidmore served, have been serving alongside of me in this role for several years now. Who the goal is to, Their goal is to shepherd God's flock. You know the word shepherd is a terminology of care. That's what the sheep did, or the shepherds did for their sheep. They cared for them, made sure they are fed, made sure they are watered, watched out and protected them. And so the shepherds, the elders, care for the flock. Secondly, as we look at these three texts, I see that elders live a life of moral and spiritual character. Most of the biblical qualifications relate to each person's moral and spiritual qualities. Above reproach is defined by the character qualities that follow that term. He says the husband of one wife. This means that each shepherd elder must be above reproach in his marital and sexual life. Men who are leading out are supposed to be a one-woman man, not, not given over to pornography, not given over to seeing other women. And one woman, married to one woman, staying sexually pure with one woman. The other character qualities stress the elder's integrity of self-control and spiritual maturity. He talks about self-control with money and alcohol and pastoral authority. In other words, he says, don't give over to drunkenness. In other words, don't let alcohol control you. The control of money. Are you controlling money or is money controlling you? Are you managing it well? Each shepherd is a model Christian living, spiritually devout, righteous, a lover of good, hospitable and morally above reproach, gentle, stable, sound-minded, must not have a dictatorial spirit or be quick-tempered, must not be a new Christian someone who's been walking an example for some time, spiritually mature, humble, and a steady walk with Christ. You see, that example, living a moral life. Now, you read in our blueprint, we see the, the male role, we see the moral and spiritual character role, but this blueprint is also setting up example that elders demonstrate solid abilities to manage, model, and defend. See, within that list of qualification, three, three requirements address the elder's abilities to manage his family well. You know, the church is referred to as a family. We look like a family, and your own family is like a little church. And then you get involved in a small group or a growth group, we call them around here. That's a little church. And then a church gathers on Sunday, and that's God's little bit bigger church. We're part of God's great big family but we're also a family right here. And if a man cannot lead or shepherd his family well, he's not going to be able to lead God's family. And so, God, guys, that's a great question. Look and go, how well am I really leading my family? A man may be a successful businessman, may be a capable public official, may be a brilliant office manager, may be a top leader in business, but they may be a terrible shepherd elder. Because sometimes we take those people and say, well, they're leading so well, let's put them in church leadership but your spiritual depth in their walk with God is bankrupt or empty. We had a professor in college, Professor Frisney, taught us that as you go into the ministry and you'll be preaching and leading in churches, they say whenever you're putting someone in the leadership, a man in the role of eldership, always stop and look at how they do with their family. It was the wisdom he gave us. He said, you look at them, if they're managing their family well, they'll probably be a good leader in, a home, or in the church, but if they're not leading at home, they're not going to be good leaders in the church. And so whenever we ask someone to be an elder in a church, we look and go, how are they doing with their family? Are they pointing their family towards Jesus? Then Scripture shows us that it will provide a model for others to follow. An example of Christ-like living that others will want to follow. The greatest to inspire others is through example. You could stop right now. 
You can think about a teacher. Maybe think about a coach. Think about a grandparent. Think about a mom or a dad. Many times we stop and think and we go, I can't remember the lessons they taught me. Stop and think about my youth ministry. I don't remember the lessons that he taught me. I remember the example that he set for me. People that influence your life are people who set the kind of good example or sometimes they influence your life with a bad example. But the way we lead, the example we set, Edgar Guest wrote this poem, and I think it's so poignant to this topic. It's called Sermons We See. He said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eyes a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Find counsel is confusing, but example, it's always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds, for to see good put in action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do, for I might misunderstand you and a high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. When I see a deed of kindness, I'm eager to be kind. When a weaker brother stumbles and a strong man stays behind, just to see if he can help him, then the wish grows strong in me to become as big and thoughtful as I know that friend to be. And all travelers can witness that the best of guides today is not the one who tells them, but the one who shows the way. One good man teaches many. Men believe what they behold. One deed of kindness notice is worth 40 that are told. Who stands with men of honor learns to hold his honor dear. For right living speaks a language which to everyone is clear. Though an able speaker charms me with his eloquence, I say, I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. See, your elders at Centerpoint Christian Church they're examples to follow. We live in a culture today where someone will say, well, look at that sport athlete. Look at that sport athlete. What kind of example? And they'll stand up and say, don't hold me up as the example to follow. And every time I hear an athlete say that, I say, that's right. Your sport athletes are not examples to follow, but your elders are. And that's a strong call on elders. When we were taking Jerry... Horn and John Stamper through eldership training, one thing we emphasize many times, we are an example for the body of believers. That's not to be said in arrogance. That's kind of like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I mean, the Apostle Paul said, look at, I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus. I'm trying to follow in his footsteps. I'm trying to do what he does. And we know the Apostle Paul said, I struggle. I do things that I don't want to do. But he said, I'm keeping my eyes on Christ. And he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Your elders are an example for you to follow. To look at how are they doing in marriage? How are they doing in parenting? How are they doing in Bible study? How are they doing in the life of the church? And that's a huge responsibility they've accepted. Huge responsibility. And Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And elders teach and defend the faith. Shepherds must be committed to God's word and be able to teach God's word, be able to defend God's word, explain God's word. Scripture says we hold fast. We defend and guard the flock by knowing God's word. There's an area where the shepherds, the elders do this. And 
thank goodness there's multiples because we learn together, we study together. What I don't know, they help me understand. What they don't know, I help them understand. But you know, church, that's what we're supposed to do for each other. We study the Word together. We grow together in knowing the Word. Where one brother or sister is weak, we help the other one out. There's one last item of the blueprint that he wants us to see, and he says elders must desire this leadership role. Look at 1 Timothy 3.1. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Sets his heart. In other words, there must be a desire, must be willing, must feel called, a spirit-led desire, and not from selfish motives, but someone who says, I want to help lead in God's church. I want to be an example setter. I want to be someone who help model. I want to be someone who help defend. I want to be somebody who help care for the flock of God's church. I got to tell you, church, though, spiritually godly leaders is not easy to find. It's a challenge, and it has always been a challenge. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel said, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. In other words, there was not many spiritually get the leaders who were stepping up and saying, I'm ready to lead. And so this is a call from Scripture because, you know, no organization or institution will ever rise above its leaders. It's a call for Scripture, not just for the man, though. It's a call for us as men to go, am I leading my family? Am I righteous? Am I pursuing the Lord? Am I really seeking God? It's a call for us to say, you know what, that's where I want to be one day. I want to be a leader of God's flock and God's people. But this is a call for all of us in this room, man or woman, to look at it because the qualities that are laid out here are qualities of Jesus. The qualities that we see that Jesus demonstrated, like we look at the, the one another's, to love one another, forgive one another, care for one another, Jesus demonstrated that for all of us. And even though this role is a, is a male role, there's no reason why women cannot lead in the church, cannot influence in the church, cannot disciple in the church. There's no reason why, but we want to disciple in Jesus. And this is an example that is set before us of what it means to really lead somebody else in Jesus. Sets a goal for us to all be people who will pursue godliness.